John, chapter 19, verse 14. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was almost noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away. Crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king, but Caesar, the chief priest, answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be King of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciples whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his house. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because of the Jewish leaders did not want the body left on the cross during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus, they found that he was already dead. They did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came out, took the body away. 
He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in, in accordance with Jewish, Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Thanks, Jeanette. Well, you might be familiar with Mel Gibson's film, The Passion, uh, the graphic description of Jesus' death on the cross. Personally, I find the trailer uh, too brutal to endure, let alone the whole film. Uh, so, so you might be familiar with Mel Gibson's uh, depiction of the last 12 hours of Jesus' life. But you might be less familiar with the advice that Mel Gibson gave to Robert Downey Jr. Uh, both men have had well-documented struggles with substance abuse and the law. And Robert Downey Jr. acknowledged the help of Mel Gibson with some of these struggles. And he summarised Mel Gibson's advice in one phrase. You've got to hug the cactus. Uh, Downey Jr. recalls uh, Gibson's description two ways. Uh, if, if I accepted res responsibility for my wrongdoings and if I embraced that part of my soul that was ugly, that is hugging the cactus. Uh, and Good Friday, Good Friday is a hugging the cactus kind of day, isn't it? Uh, we gather, as Mark mentioned earlier, uh, to celebrate the most gruesome of deaths, uh, that we recognise that in some measure was for us. It's a hugging the cactus kind of day as we gather this morning, isn't it? And we come to this biography that uh, Jeanette just read for us, the biography of Jesus written by uh, John. Uh, in, in 17 verses leading up to this passage, the word crucify has come up seven times. Uh, so you'd expect crucifixion to be front and centre in this passage that uh, uh, Jeanette just read for us. Uh, but so often, John, the writer of this biography, actually directs your attention away from the cross. Uh, uh, one of those mentions is, uh, one of the two mentions of the word crucifixion in this passage is verse 32. And in that verse, more words are used to describe Jesus' undergarment than I used to do, describe the physical process of Jesus' crucifixion. And, and so, friends, just in five episodes, uh, we see I, the eyewitness, John, direct your attention actually away from the cross. Why? Well, he does this so that you'll actually understand uh, who is on the cross uh, and why he's there. So rather than focusing on the buzzing flies above uh, the cross, the, the flayed back pressed against the crossbar, uh, the, the nails driven through the medial nerves, rather than focusing on those details, the focus is there on who is on the cross and why he's there. 
And John Wood's eyewitness account helps us understand just how trustworthy Jesus is, just how dependable he is in all that he does for us. Let's have a look at those five episodes together. Now, the first episode, uh, our attention is taken away from the gruesome cross by Pilate's placard. You'll see verse 19 there. Verse 19 of chapter 19. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened, fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin and Greek. So rather than focusing on Jesus carting the crossbar to, to which he's going to be nailed, we see a focus on the other thing that's going to be nailed to the cross, this placard that hangs over Jesus' head, this sign declaring who he is. Why? Uh, why look away from the bent-over body of Jesus carrying the crossbar? Because as you look away, you see something really, really important about the identity of Jesus. Uh, now, the background to this passage, as some of us heard last week, was a fight between the Jewish leaders and the regional go governor, Pontius Pilate. The Jewish leaders accused Jesus of, of, of making himself out to be the son of God in 19 verse 7. Uh, you see, the Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to the law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God, which is, of course, exactly what the eyewitness John wants to convince you of about Jesus, uh, to believe that he is the Son of God. Uh, he tells us this in the conclusion of the biography, just one uh, chapter later in chapter 20, verse 31. The Jewish leaders don't think that Jesus is the Son of God, but it seems that the regional governor, Pilate, saw something in Jesus. Now, in the end, Pilate uh, convicted Jesus, even against his own will, it seems, in 1912. Uh, perhaps with this placard that Pilate hangs on the cross, he wants to honour Jesus as the king. For, for <clears throat> He wants the sign over the cross to identify Jesus as the king of the Jews. But, of course, the Jewish leaders don't like this one bit, do they? Verse 21, the chief priests of the Jews protested to the Pilate, they do not write the king of the Jews, but write that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Now, I'm not sure that pithy sign writing was in the wheelhouse of the Jewish leaders. That's a long sign in three languages, isn't it? Isn't it? But Pilate's response was firm. What I have written, I have written. Uh, just as people of uh, Jerusalem welcomed Jesus one week earlier on Palm Sunday, welcoming him is as blessed as the king of Israel, so it seems Pilate recognises something of his kingship. I don't know exactly what, but do notice this. The debate over the placard, the sign that's nailed to the cross, draws attention away from the one carrying it to his identity as the king of the Jews, the king of Israel, the Messiah, the son of God. John, in his eyewitness account, clearly wants you to trust, depend, believe that this is the son of God who is uh, heading to the cross, that he is, as the sign says, the king. That's the first episode that takes us away from the gruesome reality of the cross depicted in the scenes from Mel Gibson's movie, moves us away from that scene. Why? for the purpose of highlighting the identity of the one who hangs on the cross. 
Now, the second episode shifts our attention away again from the gruesomeness of the cross. Uh, and, and this is the soldiers' shenanigans uh, around Jesus' clothes and later their piercing of his side. Uh, these shenanigans are a bit of a surprise, but actually, like Pilate's placard, they point us again to the identity of the one on the cross. Let's have a look. Verse 23. Uh, when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. It's funny focusing on these shenanigans about clothes, isn't it? You're thinking, there's a guy dying on the cross here. Why are you taking us to dealing with all these clothes, uh, the, the soldiers' shenanigans? But you'll see the eyewitness is actually using these shenanigans to show us the Old Testament. Uh, uh, he even quotes from the Old Testament from Psalm 22, a psalm about a king of Israel. John says, this happened that scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. Now, this isn't the only time that John testifies to what happens uh, to Jesus through the soldiers in a way that points to Jesus' fulfillment of the Old Testament. Uh, later, when the authorities wanted to uh, tie up loose ends of the crucified, they determined to bring about quick deaths uh, by the breaking of legs uh, for the three that hung on the cross. By the appointment of God, this is not necessary for Jesus, for he has already died. Uh, John takes his position in the witness stand very seriously. Speaking about himself, John says this, verse 35, the man who saw it has given testimony and his testimony is true. He knows he tells the truth and he testifies, so you also may believe. These things happen so that scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. So the Old Testament Passover lamb uh, to, was to be sacrificed without the breaking of any bones, just as the people of Jerusalem, that's what they were doing at this time. They were celebrating Passover. They were slaughtering their sacrifice without any bones being broken. And we see here none of Jesus' bones were broken as he hangs on the cross, reminding of, of, of the name he was called in the first chapter of this biography of Jesus, in, in John chapter 1, verse 29, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Our attention is drawn away from the gruesomeness of the cross so that we are reminded of who is on the cross, the man sent from the Father who is both a king and a sacrifice for sin. I actually really like the way that Mel Gibson talks about hugging the cactus. I don't know what he means by it. I haven't spoken to him. That probably won't surprise you. Uh, but but I, I think there's something to it, hugging the cactus, uh, as we engage with the dark parts of our soul. Um, but Jesus and the Bible speak in a very similar way about us recognising our sin. Uh, each of us have a dark part of our soul that we wouldn't really like others to see. Uh, and in fact, in this book uh, that Mark uh, uh, mentioned before, uh, uh, the writer suggests an activity on page 34 of this book that I find frightening. Um, she says, between now and tomorrow, imagine yourself having a bubble over your head which everyone can read your thoughts, like a speech bubble. She says, if I knew that that was true of me, 
that I'd cancel all my plans and hole up in my room. Uh, it's not uh, that all my thoughts are bad, she says, but if I'm honest, anyone who saw my thoughts, even just for a day, would run from me. Uh, later she concludes that uh, Jesus' conclusion is that we all deserve God's judgment. And yet instead of crushing us, Jesus came to be crushed for us. And that's what we see in our passage. Jesus is the sacrifice. He's this Passover lamb whose bones were not broken. Uh, and we, we come to learn of this surprisingly through the soldier's shenanigans. And the soldier's shenanigans end up not being a distraction from the cross, but actually directing the spotlight onto the one who really is there on the cross, the long-awaited king, the Lamb of God, who came to take away the sin of the world, including yours and including mine, coming to be crushed for sin. I don't watch a lot of AFL. I don't know whether you do. Uh, but I do believe that AFL is a sport that's best watched live uh, because there's so much action that happens off the ball in AFL. Uh, you, you see the guys scrapping, fighting, jostling for position when the ball's down the other end. You don't get to see that on the TV. Uh, you get to see how the teams are setting up the strategy down the other end of the, t uh, the, 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 the park when the ball's up the other end. You, you get to see all those things when you watch it live. That actually reminds me a bit of this passage. Uh, so much of the action happens off the ball in this passage. It, it, it's actually not what's happening on the cross. It's the, 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 the jostling of the soldiers. It's the pilot's placards. It's the things around the cross that, you, that, that John is helping you to see and that directs your attention back to what's going on, who is on the cross and why he's there. Now, the third scenario draws our attention away from the cross is the sad, sad figure of the mother of Jesus receiving a surrogate son. Uh, again, our attention is drawn away from the cross, this time to a family who is hours away from being torn apart by death. And you see it in verse 25. Uh, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple he loved standing nearby, he said, woman, here is your son. Uh, Jesus, you notice that John the eyewitness doesn't point to Jesus gasping for breath as he struggles to say a word on the cross. He, 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 doesn't, um, he doesn't picture Jesus pushing up on his nail-torn feet so that he can gasp out these words, but he focuses on the presence of mind that Jesus has, the energy expended to ensure his mother is looked after. There are many messed up things in our world. One of them is children passing before their parents. It's one of these things that Jesus passed through death to life to secure an end to. We'll spend more time focusing that on Easter Sunday. But here, as we look away from the cross, our attention is thrown back to the person who is on the cross, forcing us to see the measure of the man who stands condemned 
the same, same man who said of his oppressors, Father, forgive them, they do not know what they do. The same man who said to the one crucified with him, today you shall be with me in paradise. The same man speaks a surrogate son into existence for his mother. That's the measure of the man on the cross. The kids in kids' time uh, last week acted out Jesus' trial. And uh, as I heard about it, one of my favourite moments was one kid, kid was determined to go off script. He was determined to protect Jesus, that this shouldn't happen. I need to protect Jesus. He didn't want to see Jesus harmed. And he's absolutely right. There is so much about Jesus for which we should be right there with him, saying this man should not be harmed. He's too good. But he is the one on the cross. So we've seen Pilate's placard. We've seen the soldier shenanigans. We've seen the surrogate son. Now in this fourth episode, we're drawn to Jesus' human thirst amidst this divine fulfillment of the plan of God. Uh, this movement is from, from famished to fulfilment. Uh, it's not simply a thirst for water that you hear of here. Uh, you notice how tightly the eyewitness is tying this in with the finished work of God. Just see that in verse 28. Uh, later knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put a sponge on the stalk of the hyssop plant and, and lifted it at Jesus' lips when he received the drink. Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He says, I am thirsty, which at a human level is totally understandable. But John, the eyewitness, wants you to see the deeper truth here. Jesus here fulfills another scripture deliberately from the Old Testament. And also, Jesus here is the one who, same one who stood up at the end of the feast and said, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. The same one, the sacrifice, the son, the king calls out, I am thirsty, and then it is finished. As he dies, so does the weight of your sin. As he dies, as he says, it is finished. So finished is the darkness of your soul. Uh, all your evil thoughts, words, actions, all those words in that speech bubble above you that you just do not want others to see. It is finished. There's, of course, so much more to be said about this. Uh, so let me commend the course that Mark mentioned earlier. Uh, we'll spend more time in that there. The fifth and final scenario that draws our attention, actually away from the gruesomeness of the cross, is the covering of the body by the undercover believers. Have a look at verse 38. Uh, later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. 
At this point, after Jesus' body had been taken down from the cross, the focus could be on the body, couldn't it? That's how you depict it in a film, isn't it? Uh, The beaten, pierced body of the one who is on the cross. But again, John directs our gaze away from the beaten body to two living bodies. Uh, One of them's a new and important character in this story, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, you see in 38. He's mentioned in all four Gospels right at this point. Uh, He was a prominent Jewish leader. Uh, He was rich, and most importantly, he was a secret, undercover uh, disciple of Jesus. It it seems his reservations about being associated with Jesus take a back seat here. Daringly, he goes to Pilate and requests Jesus' body, now the property of Rome, to be released to him for burial. And not just him alone. Joining him is another person who has gone to great lengths to listen to Jesus in secret, in an undercover kind of way. Uh, Someone that John introduced us to way back in chapter 3 of John, uh, Nicodemus. Nicodemus is another prominent leader who is gripped by Jesus' teaching and willing to fork out the money necessary to buy 34 kilos, not of potato, but of perfume. Uh, of, of, of burial covering for Jesus. Why move from focusing on the beaten, pierced body to these two living bodies? Why do that? What's John's purpose in this eyewitness account? He takes the witness stand here so that you might believe that Jesus was the King, the Messiah that was to come, the Son of God, the sacrifice who takes the sin of the world. And how better to show that than by showing two believers who take this message on. They knew their association with Jesus at this point might bring them trouble. They knew that. They knew that publicly requesting Jesus' body might bring more than the expenses of the perfume that they poured on Jesus. But this is what belief does. Belief treasures Jesus even at cost. Like the woman who poured perfume on Jesus' feet, so these rich men get their hands dirty, whilst also potentially getting their reputations dirtied. Because they wanted to treasure Jesus. One final time, we move away from the gruesome reality of the cross to the identity of Jesus and to the identification with Jesus of those who are his. Let's just do a flyover of those five episodes we've seen. Good Friday is a hugging the cactus kind of day Uh, because as the witness John helps us to see, and Jesus was the king. Pilate's placard over his head spoke truth about him, that he was the king. The soldiers' shenanigans around Jesus' clothes, they reminded us that Jesus is the king that was predicted in the Old Testament. That Jesus' bones weren't broken, again, fulfillment of the Old Testament, points to Jesus as the king who was also the sacrifice for sin. He died so that we might be set free from the weight of our sin. Then we looked away from the cross to see the surrogate son, that Jesus sets in place out of compassion for his mum. So many of his words on the cross show show his compassion until, of course, he drew his final breath. His thirst 
and his fulfilment of the Father's will. As we finished with the picture of those two who followed Jesus, even at cost, risk to themselves. We stand back. As you hug the cactus today, as you hug the cactus, recognising the ugly parts of your soul that gave rise to this action of God in Jesus, are you going to be like those two disciples, treasuring Jesus, even at cost to yourself? Friends, let's pray together. Our dear Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus, his kingship, his perseverance, his love, and his suffering for us. Father, we are sorry that it was our darkness, it was our sin and failure that led to his actions on the cross. Father, would you please forgive us? Please help us to treasure Jesus, believing, depending, trusting in him. We pray this in his mighty name. Amen.